following episode, we'll be discussing various topics such as extreme mental illness and suicide. Listen, listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know is being hit hard by mental illness, visit NAMI.org, that's N-A-M-I.org, for helplines, chats, and free crisis counseling. Please know that you are not alone. And for any additional help, please go to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. An exciting showdown, the loss of a friend, and the saving of another. Plus, we're going to talk about what really happened to Picard's mother. Climb aboard the final journey of the La Serena as we've known her. I'm Mike Bovia, and this is Discovering Trek Picard. Thanks for joining us on Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe companion presented by Fansets. This entire season has dealt with loss, but it's also had the undercurrent of mental anguish and sickness. And we're going to do our best to tackle those topics today. And thankfully, I don't have to do this alone. Uh, Now, because of the seriousness of this episode, I'm going to step away from my comedic intros uh, for, for this episode and just do a group introduction. So, uh, joining us from the Sci-Fi Sisters, we have Tamia, and as always, we have Mike and Jamie to fill out the roundtable. How's everybody doing? Great. Glad to be here. Well, okay. Little little sick over you know this over this past week, but trying to hopefully be on the tail end of that. Uh, I, I said I would be serious, but I I can't I can't resist. We have Typhoid Jamie on with us today. <laughs> <laughs> Not even going to touch that one. <laughs> he's still right. sick. He's not going to fight you on it. There you go. That's well, how. And to, and to I have fair, to save Mike, my voice for the episode. I can't get too there you excited. Go. <laughs> and to be fair, Mike, like, you know, there were some moments in this episode, which weren't all. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in order for us to get into some of those moments, uh, Jamie, why don't you direct everyone to our social medias? If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can follow, find us at Discovering Trek, or you can join the conversation on Camp Kinemer. Just answer a few simple questions, and our admins, Haley, Jackie, and Fark, will let you in. This is a reminder that this episode of Discovering Trek provides spoilers for the Picard episode, Hide and Seek. If you have not watched it yet, head over to Paramount Plus and watch the episode and then head back. Failure to do so leaves you open to spoilers. Episode 209 of Star Trek Picard, Hide and Seek, aired April 28th, 2022. It was written by Matt Akamura and Chris Derrick, and it was directed by Michael Weaver. Card and his crew fight for their lives as they come under attack from a new incarnation of an old enemy. But to survive, Picard must face the ghosts of his past. Seven and Rafi have a final showdown with Jurati. 
So we've had some mixed reactions over these last eight episodes now going into our ninth. So let's get into our, if we liked it or did not like it. So uh, we'll let Mike go first on this one, thumbs up or thumbs down on this episode. I give it a thumbs up. I thought that uh, this was an action-packed episode. There was a good amount of pacing. And uh, I really liked the dichotomies of uh, characters. So the adversarial relationship between Sung and Picard. I loved the Rafi 7 dynamic uh, a lot in this episode. And uh, Girardi and the Borg Queen just are amazing. Uh, so... Yeah, definitely, definitely give this a thumbs up. Okay. Well, since I have a feeling I know where Tamia and Jamie are going with this one, based on our conversations already, I'll go next. I'm going to say that this one, I don't want to say it's down for me, but it's not really up for me either. It's another one of those ones that's kind of in the middle. Um, as I looked over my notes, there were there were a lot of things that I really enjoyed about the episode, but then there's a lot of things that I just wasn't all that excited about. Um, so it's kind of a meh for me. Um, action was great, um, but there could have been more done with it based off of that. So that's my thoughts to Mia. How about you? A solid. One thumb up, one thumb down, buddy. Um, you know, I, there was, when I looked at my notes, I took my notes in different colors and there was one color for things that my head scratchers or that I just didn't like. And another color for the things that I positively liked. And I looked at it and I thought that it was going to be weighed heavily on one side or the other. And it wasn't, it's about 50, 50. You know, and so that's why it's getting one thumb up and one thumb down for me. Uh, there were some things that I loved and liked um, and things that like not that I didn't like. Well, there were some things that I flat out just don't like about this episode, but not a lot. But there's also a lot of head scratchers for me. So that's that's where I'm at. So we got Mike, who is firmly entrenched in the up category. Tamia and I are right down the middle and I know where Jamie's going. So Jamie. What side are you on, my friend? Well, when I first watched this episode, um, I, I actually I, I did like it. Um, but the, the more times I've watched it, it, it's really hard for me to kind of go the one up, one thumb up, one thumb down thing, um, because I have to look at the overall execution of it. And so I'm going to give it a thumbs down. Um, I do like there, there are pieces of it that I really like. I like that. We're starting to wrap up some of the storylines that we've seen develop throughout the season. Um, but I think my biggest problem with the episode is that it really had all the makings of this action packed thriller, you know, that was looking like it was going to be well paced. And, and once again, there were moments that were cool, but I didn't like that. I feel like the, the characters are running for their lives basically, or they're in these situations where they're they're the future of humanity is at stake. And every moment where you think the plot's going to move forward, where it's the pace is going to continue going. We have a flashback when they get into a various room. So it just, it felt disjointed because of these flashbacks in random spots. You know, uh, obviously we know, we know about the elephant in the room, 
And once again, I just think, you know, it took us way too long to develop that revelation. And, you know, I just think we should have covered it earlier in the season. That way it would leave leave us an episode that was action-packed, thriller, well-paced, fast-paced, so we could save the future of humanity, you know, and that's where I think this episode could have been, but they misfired. Yeah. Or even like, as soon as they get down into the tunnels, like play the whole thing out right away, right there. Um, or wait until they're in the solarium since that was the, you know, the trigger of his memory. Um, but yeah, I agree. The back and forth was kind of the, See, you guys just jumped into the good stuff. I could have given you good stuff like that if I'd known we were going to jump into the good stuff right away. Well, Come that's on. that's that's Jamie's thing, you know. I'm just it, saying. I, he he oh, likes to I'm steal sorry. from people. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Yes, <laughs> I knew Mike was going to chime in. <laughs> Please specify how you would like to proceed, sir. So that we can open it all up, let's get into key points. And Tamia, we'll let you go first. I don't know. Jamie took half of my stuff. So <laughs> no, I, I, um, I'll just okay. stay muted. <laughs> key points for me. Again, I agree with Jamie. The action in, in this episode was great, but uh, I also agree that it was disjointed because we kept breaking up the action for um, these quieter moments, these slower moments. And, um, it just, it, I, it just threw, t- kept taking me out of the story. And I was, you know, so I felt like, you know, the, the A story and the B story weren't meshing very well together, you know? Um, and, um, so, you know, the, I agree wholeheartedly that, I understand the purpose of why we kept going into these flashbacks for Picard and they were helping him solve and deal with this problem now. And that he was facing, finally facing the stuff that he needed to face. Like I get all of that. I just don't like the way in which it was done. You know, I I felt like we really spent um, too much time on the, inside of his head and not enough time on the telling of the story. And I agree that I wanted the, 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 the denouement of, you know, the reveal um, I feel like was anticlimactic because I knew it was coming. And um, I felt like, you know, yeah, I wish that it had been done a long time ago. Uh, My strong points, my favorite parts were between um, Rafi and seven and Agnes and the board queen, Annie Wershing, you know, all of those moments were really solid to me and really engrossing and engaging. Uh, every time Brent Spiner came on as Sung and Picard, I was falling asleep. And it wasn't because of the, the portrayals. It was not those, it was not the actors. Uh, it was the dialogue was long and drawn out. And I felt like I just didn't need any of it. The story moved along just so much better without any of that to me, mm-hmm. you know, or if they were going to have those two amazing actors in a scene, give them something more to do. 
you know, I just wasn't a fan of the Soong character at this point, and um, I didn't understand his purpose. And, yeah, he's a, he's essentially yeah. a mustache twirling villain. Yeah, yeah. So every time he came on, you know, it, it, I was just like, this is wasted time. I could have been doing more here. So that's why I'm still like on the fence because there was half of this episode I really liked. And it wasn't just because it was action. It was because it was written tighter. You know, it was a, it was more cohesive and easier to follow and uh, did a lot more in every sentence of dialogue than what I was getting all up in Picard's head and all out in that field was soon. So there you have it. That's it. That's a nutshell. That's a good nutshell. Um, and I, I, I agree on all of that. And I appreciate the class that you've brought to the podcast by saying denouement. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That is not, that is not something that would ever uh, come into my brain. So I appreciate that. Um, But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I kind of feel the same way as you with the, with the soon character. It was interesting in the beginning when he was first revealed but like a lot of other things on this uh, uh, in this season, it feels like it's gone on too long. Like they could have, they could have either elevated him and made him even worse than he is or just done away with him. Uh, and instead he's kind of stayed along at the same pace and all right, well, my plan failed. Oh, here comes the board queen to give me something new, but it's still the same, still the same stuff. All right, our positive guy on the panel, Mike, uh, we'll let you uh, chime in on your key points. So uh, let me let me start with Sung because I, I, you know, I actually thought Brent Spiner did an amazing job with this character, and I actually felt that he was an an evil adversary. I do I do see your points about him being Don't- a little. Yeah, don't get me wrong. We, I think we, I think we all feel that Brent did a great job. Um, it's the, it's the care, it's the way it was written for him. That's all. And I'm not a writer, so I can't. I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, bad writing, blah blah blah. You know, it. But story wise, I guess is how I feel. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've never really seen a, a desperate man uh as an as an evil villain and and he really is a desperate man uh you know he's desperate for a legacy he's desperate for feeling somehow that he's contributing to society and to the world with this gift that he has with genetics uh and he he's sort of gone down a lot of wrong paths and and been you know been uh dinged for it in a lot of ways and so i you know i I feel i feel that piece of it i feel that desperation that uh that he has to to make himself you know again this is a this is a man who has a who's really smart who has a very big ego and um would fit in with a lot of today's political leaders to be honest um so you know, but I I did feel the maybe that's like, why we all don't care for her. right. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that's quite possibly the reason. I you know, um, but I, I I you know that desperation though takes on this really terrifying level of uh, you know doing anything, including just you know shoot him, you know shooting Picard, uh, 
telling his soldiers to shoot Picard. Again, you know, now thinking about that scene as well, he's he's a desperate villain, but he's not the one who's pulling the trigger, right? He's sort of this like, um, I don't, I'm trying to think of a good word for it, but he's sort Bad of father. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's sort of you know just having his minions do it instead of taking care of it himself. Um, so in, in that sense, he's sort of weak, but. Uh, but I, I definitely thought that there was a, and then maybe it's, maybe it's a, just the callback to the fact that Brent Spiner played data for so many years and how his interactions with Picard were always very different. And so seeing him play this, this version of song that is so adversarial to Picard is just something that for me was, was intriguing to watch and see. And, um, and so I felt that, but, you know, he's not a lovable character. I don't like him in the sense that, you know, I, I think he's a worthy character. You know, I, I think I think he's just a, a sort of a mad scientist with with a little bit more of a oomph in the in the fact that he has some deadly deadliness to him. He can he can he can cause some havoc, at least maybe not personally, but through others. But enough about him. Um, I, I have to say, um, I love the Rafi and seven scenes throughout this. Um, and I've spoken on previous podcast, uh, previous episodes of our podcast here that, you know, this relationship between Rafi and seven is so critical. It's so important for people to see a different kind of re- a relationship, uh, you know, a lesbian relationship, but also just between two women who actually really deeply, truly love one another and would do almost anything for one another. I think seven is, has that in the back of her head, but she's processing a lot. She's, she's learning to become human. Um, just, you know, so there's that piece. Uh, and it's nice to see that this, that's that piece plays out in this episode. She's struggling with her, her humanity, but by the end of the episode, she realizes that, uh, that she's herself again with the Borg implants. Uh, and I really, really love uh, when, you know, when she says, I, I'm ordinary, or um, let me see if I can find the quote. It was nice to be ordinary, right? Um, and mm-hmm. I love the way that Rafi responds to her, you know, um, that um, you are the most extraordinary person I know. And that is... Uh, an example for me of, of the kind of love that you see between these two women. And and it's really amazing. And, and the fact that seven accepts that too. Uh, I just really, really love that. And, and even before that piece, uh, when they're about to run through the field, they both look at each other and, and they know that it's, you know, very desperate and that they're probably not going to make it, but they're honest with each other. And there's just this caring piece about it. And in that conversation, we learn why Seven is not in Starfleet. Um, not that we didn't really know, uh, but it was a nice callback to Voyager and to Janeway and to the fact that even uh, with echoes of Picard, you know, Janeway almost resigned uh, on on the fact that they wouldn't accept Seven into uh, Starfleet. So I thought that was really interesting. But I think also I really liked that uh, Rafi sees her as captain material and um, I, and you see that towards the end even with uh, Rios and and her like uh, that's my ship no that's my ship you know like whose ship whose ship was the La Serena um, 
So I really, really enjoyed that. I thought that was just the, that was the warm, fuzzy part of this episode for me. Anytime those two women are on screen with one another, uh, I am all for it and all in. All right, can um, I, so I'm going was... to chime in on the whose ship it was because yes. I love seven. Don't get me wrong. I love seven, <laughs> but it was Rios's ship. To, to her. It was just a ship. To Rios, it was like a part of him. <laughs> and so in that, in my brain, it was his. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think, and when thinking about what my predictions for Rios are for the finale, uh, you know, I, I think that um, the ship was his family for a really long time. And I think he's found a new family. Um, and uh you know, he created all of those versions of himself to have a semblance of family or have, you know, have beings around him that he knew and could trust because they were versions of him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do see what you're saying there. Um, totally. So, um, you know, and then and then we just have uh, Girardi, who is, uh, you know, Allison Pill is just killing it in this episode. Um, the only thing I didn't like about it uh, was I didn't really like her Borg Queen outfit. I just didn't like the way that I honestly, I, it was it was weirdly cut. I don't, you know, it's just I know it was sort of reminiscent of the red dress uh, in a little bit, you know, to some extent. But um, one of the things that Johnson reminded me when we talked about this episode was that all of the board queens have and all the actresses who have played them have complained on how tight fitting these suits are. And this did not look like any of those previous versions of the board queen. Um, outfit. And so, you know, I, I just didn't really, it wasn't really vibing on that. I know it was probably something in between of what Girardi and the board queen would wear, but it just looked a little too loose and not, you know, not enough, uh, tightness that made me feel like it was sort of a part of her and maybe that was the whole point maybe it's not meant to be fully a part of her um but we'll see uh but i i thought the interactions between her and uh, uh the board queen when especially when she locks out the computer or she had locked out the computer on her i thought that was brilliant and then uh you know i i i really do love evan evagora and i'm glad he was back in this as the uh, emergency com uh, no combat hologram um, and that she placed the key into his. So, um, and that that's not without telling. And the only other thing I wanted to say is that I really did love the dynamic between young Jean-Luc and his mother. I think that they really cast those actors well and it's very believable. And uh, the family scenes are, uh, are quite prescient for me. Like they yeah. feel very real and, and there's a closeness there. So, I'll get off my positivity horse here and let Jamie chime in now. Hey, I guess. No, no problem. No problem with being positive. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. Ready for me? <laughs> no, I I mean, are we ever truly ready for you? No, no I, I'm, I'm going to do positive things. I, I kind of said, you know, my piece at the thumbs up, thumbs down, which I was criticized for. Um, you know, there's some interesting things for sure. Um, in this episode, I, I think, you know, seven of nine getting back her board components was, was definitely an interesting piece that, you know, you guys alluded to. Um, 
but I, I wish that we had explored more of her humanity throughout the season. Like the, the fact that she didn't have those components through most of the season. Um, I mean, really, this is her being fully human for the first time since she was a young child. And, and I feel like that was really, really a missed opportunity that I would have loved to have seen them kind of flesh that out a little bit more. Um, it was nice to see Evan, uh, Eva Gora back in the show, but I, I, I struggle with, I feel like it was kind of shoehorned in like, you know, we're looking for an excuse to bring him back, you know, and, and I guess the trope of, you know, Rafi seeing little flashes of him here and there was just kind of getting old and they had to figure out a new way to do it. And, you know, so I, I loved having him there, but like I said, I just feel like that whole, how they brought him in was, um, you know, kind of contrived a little bit. Um, I do like, I, I do like the scenes between Rafi and seven. I think they were the strong, you know, really what was driving the the plot along. I like how they, they kind of made peace at the end too. And we see maybe that they're kind of moving back to where their relationship should be, um, you know, before season two had began. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing. And I, I love the Teresa and Rios moment. I, I, I think that, um, you know, that was a, a nice moment. We, we all were kind of expecting it, but um, it was nice to finally get that confirmation that we saw there. Wow. He's done. I don't believe it. So uh, I got to say a lot of uh, what the three of you have said hits most of the points that I have, uh, but you know, just to hone in on a couple of things here, um, I really like, and it kind of goes along with what my prediction has been the last few episodes, uh, how when uh, Teresa is working on, on Rios and he gives her the tricorder and she's like an entire ER fits in your pocket. Like how awesome that is to her. Um, the seven and Rafi scenes uh, again, like, like you all said, I think we're the best in the whole episode, uh, you know, how they're, working together to try and uh, escape the chateau and get to the, get to the La Serena. And I love, I got to say that their advanced weaponry from the 25th century can't be used at some point. Like they, they lost the phasers somewhere in the house and they have to resort to common kitchen equipment. And it's great because it's like the, they're they're prepared to use it if they have to um and they're working together on it and then uh toward the end there how agnes's appeal to the queen to save seven uh how she said you know wasn't she really the best of what the borg was after you know after she left she incorporated the things that she had learned as a borg with what she also knew as she was learning about humanity and she put those two things together and look at the person she's become. And that's how Agnes really appealed to the queen to say, look, you save her. We don't have to be these baddies anymore. We can create a new race of Borg that is actually good. Because if you look at your history, every timeline you're in, the Borg gets beaten and you're by yourself. So let's change history and make it something better uh, for your species. Uh, I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, that may be that may be it. I mean, 
Yeah, I loved uh, I loved the emergency combat hologram of Elnor. I, so here's something that I very much disliked. The action was great, but we hear Picard at one point say the whole house is surrounded by the soldiers. They have broken windows. They have open windows all over the place. And he is talking in a regular voice telling Talon where they need to go and what they need to do. So you mean to tell me that his voice isn't loud enough at that level for them to hear outside like the seven and Rafi parts, they were, they were keeping their voices hushed and muted. And he's like, just talking like we are right now. Uh, I mean, that was very unbelievable for me. I mean, especially toward the end there, like, he, he should have had a bullet in his head the way he was talking, uh, the way that, uh, you know, Talon said, look, you got to work faster. Otherwise, everything you're thinking about is going to come out the hole in your head. Uh, so, yeah, he, he the way he was acting there, he is he is very lucky that he did not get that bullet in the head. Yeah, you know, that's uh, that brings me to one of the things that really bothered me about this episode was the. um how easy it was for Sung to get around and to know the layout of the house and, and find them. And um, that you, you come down that stairwell to that little pocket corner where the bookshelf is to get into the basement. And um, why would you stop there when you have a whole corridor ahead of you to go and search and, and just look in that corner? It just seemed My, a little too contrived. I, I, I finally caught that today when I was rewatching today you know like he's he notices like some dust disturbed or something you know and i was like okay so now he's a tracker you know like most yeah. people would just walk right past i mean like the whole house is dusty and full of scuff yeah. marks and isn't know, that something the special forces guys would have found as opposed yeah. to soon the scientist yeah. well i had a couple of issues with that point too with that part too because like you got these tracker beams these like laser beams all over and they're like flashing all across them and nobody gets shot there's just like points of light moving across your target and nobody gets shot you know i was like "Mm, i don't think so you know (laughs) it's it's almost like too it was like you know they have these laser beam things like I don't know if they were trying to kind of show the color contrast of like, like the Borg, you know, like, okay, here's the Borg colors here, you know, the green and, you know, stuff like that. But it's like, like you said, it's like, you almost know it's coming. Like, okay, they're, they're pointing the beam right at us. So I know to step a little to the left or a little to the right. So I don't get shot, but you know, what else kind of bothered me a little bit with that whole, you know, sequence. It's like, I felt like, it it changed from them defending the ship to now all of a sudden defending the Chateau, you know, like, and I get it that, you know, Girardi had, you know, put a password on there and stuff like that, where, you know, they couldn't get access right away, but it's just like, I, I would have preferred, you know, them kind of trying to hold the ship down as opposed to, you know, they're outside, they're in a less, to me, a less vulnerable position because they're, they're running around the chateau basically. Again. I and if they're, you. you know, if, if, yeah, if, if their whole purpose is to get the ship, why are they, why do they even care about what's going on outside? Right. They should oh just be. Sitting, 
sitting out there defending in, it, right? Right. Thank you. Like, or or why they are we right. in this stupid chateau anyway? Well, and like, can we not have this? I'm sorry. Can we just oh, not no, have ahead. this mental, this this whole mental thing happen someplace else? Do we have mm-hmm. to go into the chateau? Because it really felt like it was imbalanced. It took the, and that's what like what story are we telling here? You know, it was it was just confusing. Yeah, I I just wish that, like you said, like if we're supposed to be defending the ship, go defend the ship. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, Picard talked about um, these underground tunnels, and I know that they split up to be able to make themselves more. uh, I I don't want to say more of a target, but it did kind of make them more of a target. But you know, to double their to double their odds, and. So there's these tunnels, which he's told Raffi and seven about, but they're going to run across a field of soldiers to get to the ship. They couldn't figure out a way to find one of these tunnels to get over to the ship. Uh, uh, And then I I love seven and Raffi. They have been awesome. They can bring a fight to anybody. Did you see how many soldiers were in that field that they were running through and they make it all the way to the ship. And it looks like they are virtually untouched. Uh, I have a hard time believing that one, a real hard time believing that one. Yeah. I think the number of, you know, beamings of, of the soldiers just didn't seem realistic and we didn't see them in action. You know, it just, it never, you never really knew how many soldiers were there, but yes, I agree that that scene was, you yeah, know, they, they were, were like going to travel everywhere. Out yeah. Well, yeah. you know what I would have liked? I would have liked to have seen more of these fake Borg, you know, um, cause we saw like, mm-hmm. and I call them fake Borg because they're not Borg yet, you know, to me, like, and I didn't get, you know, I got one, dose of some nanites you know being injected into a person and a tinge of green and that does not do borg for me (laughs) you know and i know this is like beginning of borg and i know that the borg queen had limited resources you know um so i get all that and 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 resources from the wrong century you know um it just still didn't like i didn't feel like we were dealing with any type of borg menace it was just this uh ambiguous menace in my mind you know and i would have liked to have seen a little bit more about how these supposed new borg were operating you know as a collective number one you know like these are aspects of the borg that make the their stories enticing it's the whole collective aspect of working together uh like in unison of being a like it's how they're this complete disregard for life you know just only for their purpose and objective is you know what they're about you know this is what makes them menacing in a psychological thriller and i got none of that you know uh very little of that so it kind of feels a little like maybe it's just because i have all this back history with the Borg, but I felt like if you're going to bring Borg into the equation, I need a little bit more Borg. Like the whole Borg story cannot rest upon the shoulders of the Borg queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the one thing that I did notice about that Tamia, was that um, when, 
when Rios is trying to get out of the ship and he runs to get weapons, but then two two Borgified soldiers beam in. They don't move. They don't do anything until she beams in. So the, I think that the control there is that she needs to be close by and control. Like she does have control of them because it was almost like they didn't even see him and and Teresa and, and Ricardo. So like a, until, like a typical Borg. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that was the only, yeah, I agree with you on on that, Tamiya, but that was the only kind of thing that you kind of saw that would indicate that they're kind of old-style Borg that were being controlled by the collective or whatever. You know, a couple things that I forgot to mention as being things that I really liked about this. Um, I did like the fact that Rafi is able to get her closure, even if it is just with a hologram but you know like he described it was a hologram you know he had elnor's memories right down to the end um so i think that was essential for raffi uh to be able to have that closure that she needed two of um uh, i know it doesn't make any sense but i kind of did like the effect of of uh seven beaming the two borgified dudes into the wall uh yes the walls of the chateau tunnel um that was kind of fun you know um and um one of my favorite lines uh came from agnes with her when she uh was talking to the board queen and said that you're overreaching icarus worthy arrogance you know i just thought that was one of the best lines of the of the whole episode and I'm trying to get some positive stuff to balance out my negative stuff that I had. Uh, in mm-hmm. here. I, you know, um, uh, I think that it was a really positive thing that um, Seven and Raffi finally got the types of scenes that they deserved throughout the whole season. Yes. Um, you know, I wish that there had been many more such scenes with them. Uh, I would liked the fact that Elnor would they. they brought him back somehow. Um, I do think it's a little bit of a missed opportunity to this, this season to grow that character, but, you know, I understand what they're doing. So, um, you know, I mean, we've had an announcement already about who's going to be in season three. Right. So, you know, extraneous characters are probably not going to make it. So, <laughs> um, uh, but, um, you know, I also agree that I love the fact that Rafi got a chance to, make her peace with Elnor that sort of put her, put her mind at peace. Um, and uh, that's, that's all I'm going to give you right now. Thank you for letting me have this time. <laughs> all right. So let's get into uh, what we said we were going to hold off on. And that is the storyline surrounding Picard's mother and the eventual outcome of that. So whoever would like to start, I will let you jump in. Cause I don't want to just dominate the, uh, dominate the headlines, so to speak. Okay. Um, I, I did enjoy this piece of uh, Jean-Luc's history. Um, I, I like the moments between the young Jean-Luc and Yvette I thought that there it was obvious that there was a really close relationship and and we've seen that before, but I, I thought that there are some more touching moments in this part of it. Um, you know, the the hard, hard part about this 
is that, you know, once again, we dip into childhood trauma. But I think that the key is that this was so traumatic that he erased it from his memory. And yet the fallout from this happening is that he's, he's unable to build close, really close romantic loving relationships with, with other women. Uh, so I think that that sort of, that was a nice explanation of, of this. Um, I, I had to go back and watch the, the part where he's reflecting on it a couple of times just to kind of get his thoughts. And, I, and I'm still not sure that I fully understand all that he said, but, um, you know, I do think that, uh, I, I, I imagine that most everyone in the audience has some childhood memory that sticks out for them that may, may be negative. You know, for me, it would be my, my grandmother's, uh, death, um, by natural causes, I'll say. Um, but you know, he does talk about how, um, and I'm going to, I'm just going to read his quote because I think that's the only way I can really talk through it. There are moments in time that we wish we could travel back to memories Pieces of life better lived in reverse. That's where I get confused, but uh, I'm going to continue. In those moments, tragic endings might rewind into joyful beginnings. Sort of get that a little bit. Moments of loss into those of gains. I remember now in a cloudy moment of extreme melancholy, my mother hung herself here in this place. And for all that I've lived, all that I've seen and done, I suppose this is the moment I've kept myself from remembering, this moment I am so powerless to reverse. I think that last part is the, the key here, the, the powerlessness of, of, of a child being able to um, do something about a, a tragic situation for with someone he loves uh, very dearly. And, um, you know, I, I thought that uh, the way that the scene was portrayed and played out mostly in reverse, except for that initial scene when he walks into the room and sees her hanging there. I don't know that, honestly, I don't know that um, they show enough reaction on young Jean-Luc's face when he sees that. Um, and, and then everything starts moving in reverse. But I, um, but I'm still really stuck on like, what does it mean to live life or pieces better lived in reverse? I, I don't know if, if he's talking about like things that just remember the good times, not the bad times. I don't know. Mike, you sounded like you wanted to. Well, so uh, I think, and, and you know, by no means do I know anything about this. I think, uh, correct me when he makes that statement, it's after they've gotten rid of Soong. So Soong is already taken off and he's picked up the skeleton key in the uh, yes, solarium. Yeah, that's, okay. sort of the, that's sort of the trigger the point. Trigger. Yeah. All right. So he's holding the skeleton key and realizes that that's what, what's opened the door to let her out. I'm thinking that, uh, you know, moments in life are lived better in reverse. Like I'm wondering if, He's like pondering in his head what could be if he had never opened that door. And that's why everything is going backwards to the point where he opens the door. Um, I mean, that's that's just my thought process. I could be way off, but no, that's, you know, that is, sounds good. It is Mike, what yeah. it is. Can I yeah. just ask this question? Because I'm, I'm 
there are things about this episode and this sequence that I don't want to say are conf- are confusing to me, but I, I'd like to kind of talk through it. Like, did he open the door and allow her out that, which is like, I'm trying to figure out like she was locked in that room and was the first time he unlocked that door to see her had committed suicide or was he allowing her to get out when the yeah. father wasn't there? Yeah, and that's, so, yeah he yeah. allowed her to get out. Like her dad locked her in the room mm-hmm. because she was having an episode and, um, and then he, and she was crying out for him to come let her out. And he did, he woke up and he went to let her out. And then she went down there. Right. She woke up. She like, they were sleeping. She woke yeah. up and went and did her thing. And then he woke up and found her. Yeah. So, 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 he, so basically him letting her out is what allowed mm-hmm. her to get to the rope and to commit suicide. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. It, and that's it, why yeah. he feels like it's his fault well, because yeah. his father had put her there and he opened the door and let her go. Yeah. Cause it's almost kind of confusing. It's almost, it's almost like when I was watching it, it was almost like that, you know, he was kind of letting her out here and there. And then one day she was locked in there and then he, he opened the door and saw her. Like I, I was kind of, I was kind of confused as I was watching it, like what actually took place. You know what I mean? Cause it's almost like she would have committed suicide in the room if she was just left in there by herself too. So that's where I was like trying to kind of, kind of put the piece together as why he's, why he's blaming himself so much, you know? Yeah. Well, knowing, knowing what we seem to know about his father up to this point now, it's he does make the comment that he put her in that room for her protection. And I suppose mine as well. Um, so I would assume that that's almost like a safe room in the house where he's taken anything out of there that she could potentially harm herself with. Just, again, just my thought. Well, you know, and also, you know, I think it speaks um, volumes to how as children, we take on responsibility for things that we can't possibly be responsible for, whether it makes sense to us as adults or not, you know, often children hold themselves responsible for parents' divorces. I know I did for a while, you know, I did as um, well. And, you know, and, and other things, and, and it really has nothing to do with us. Um, it's just the, a, a child's perspective is so self-centered. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I just mean it as in the fact that they don't have life experience to look at life from other ways, you know? Um, so when we view our memories are often viewed from that really like me centered point of view, that everything that happened around us, the only way that we knew how to interpret it was through how our experiences of it and not, and we, and we take that into adulthood until we start to examine those from an adult perspective and start to put ourselves in other people's shoes uh, because we have more life experience to be able to do that now, you know, but we don't realize it. It's a hard process. It's something that has to consciously be done. It's the one thing that I admire them for attempting to do this season is to show the hard work of this inner examination and that it is work 
and that you have to, and it takes courage to do it, you know, um, and it takes support to do it. And so they've shown all of these things with Picard um, going through this process. I just wish they didn't take so long to, you know, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing a television show. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not a biopic, long, you know, it was long and drawn out. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I, but, and I think, well, sorry to me. No, that's, that's pretty much it on that point. I, you know, another part of it that bothered me too, though, and, and, and I know it would have been hard to do this because of, you know, they're trying to tell the story, but to me, it was a cop out that the father didn't get any sort of external help yeah. for the mother. That I was mean, what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. That I mean, is one of my main points about this. I, I don't understand. And, you know, I know that everybody has different situations and people who live through these experiences have different ways in which they've learned to cope and systems that are mm-hmm. inherent and built into their routines and how to cope with these situations when they come up. Right. And it yep. doesn't always involve emergency services because why we've been through this before mm-hmm. we've gone to emergency services before they've been checked into clinics and hospitals before and come out. And he already said like, she's on an upswing, like yes. maybe we can have, so I don't want to blame him necessarily for not doing it the way I think they should have done it. But I do also feel like some type of effort could have been made I mean, you know, or at least alluded to in yeah. the script. Right. If you have, to, if you have to, if you have to lock her in a room, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I know, I know in the beginning, you know, towards the beginning of the season, they had kind of said, well, she doesn't want help, but well, that doesn't matter. You know, yeah. I mean, that, like if you're, if you're physically like having to basically almost assault her and get her into a room and lock mm-hmm. her into a room for all good, there's something not right there. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I just, I mean, they're in the 24th century. You're telling me that yep. there, there's nothing. A that doctor they, can't know, beam in. Yeah. A doctor can't beam in and do some sort of, some sort of treatment to help her. Um, right. and, you know, and I, and I get it. They always play up that the Picards are very old school Even, and old fashioned, yeah, but still, you know. but still. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I want to go back to what you were saying to Mia there about, um, how he makes the comment of, it seems like she's had a lot of good days together and he hopes that she's getting better. I mean, in the beginning of the season, it kind of seemed like, you know, they definitely made it seem like his father was a bad guy. Like his father was the cause of these things. Um, that his father didn't understand, but now not only do we see that he understood, but we can see the love that he had for her, which is all the more mind boggling as to why they don't portray him taking that next step. You know, do you, like you said, do you have a plan, something that you have to do when there is a, um, we'll say an inflammation (laughs) for lack of a better term, um, yeah, yeah. There's the bandaid that you, that you put on and maybe that bandaid was that safe room, but you mean to tell me that you're going to go 12 hours without taking care of the situation? Uh, that didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Like, like I, like I was saying, like to me, if they had some sort of scene where, 
you know, there was a doctor there and he said, he said, okay, she's heavily sedated. Yes. We've got to keep her in this room for mm-hmm. X amount of time. Let, you know, let the treatment kind of thing. And then Picard goes in and says, oh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let her go out against yeah. the doctor's yep. orders. And mm-hmm. to me, that would have kind of made more sense. But it's just like I said, it it it, it still kind of paints the father in a bad light, right? In, in, my, in my mind, well, it, and that's it, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, is that he kind of um, he almost portrayed that you know, which which I've seen with parents, you know, o- over time, like you know, the father that says, "Okay, you you know, if you're a boy, you can't cry." It, like put it's dirt almost on like it. yeah, put dirt on it, whatever. Or or you're you're a boy, you're not supposed to be able to cry, so. I'll give you something to cry about some of those type things that happen, you know, those old school um, parents mentality. I almost feel like that's kind of how Maurice is, is that he's trying to just say, I'm going to, I'm going to shove her in this room and not deal with it, you know? And I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to really explain to Jean-Luc effectively so that he knows what's going on to, to protect himself. I'm going to kind of leave it wide open and, and, and Jean-Luc kind of makes his own, his own determinations on what he thinks is the right thing to do. And, and so mm-hmm. I, I don't think it totally, I don't think it totally takes Maurice off the hook as, you know, handling the situation correctly. Well, and I, I agree with you. And uh, the point that I'm trying to make is you got to go one way or the other. Like before all of this happens, they seem to paint him as this loving, caring husband and father. And then all of this takes place. And like you said, there is, there's not the backing that goes along with the scene that they showed before. Um, so, I mean, w- what is he, is he this husband that cared and was trying to help her in every regard, or was he that, that one that just, like you said, Jamie, uh, Boys can't cry, rub dirt on it. We'll put you away for a few hours and you should be okay. Um, you know, which one is it? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make a decision as to where we're going with that. So one of the things that I thought about when we were talking this through is, uh, you know, this, this reminds me of why Picard never wanted to go back home. But then I thought about that and I was like, he just spent 15 years at home in a, in a huff against Starfleet. And so you're telling me that being 15 years in that Chateau, you didn't deal with this. This didn't come up, you know, over those years when you were basically by yourself with your two Romulan, for lack of better term, servants. Um, you know, so I'm struggling with that piece of it now. Uh, the he's almost a hundred, he's almost a hundred years old too. It's you, you right. think that at no well, point. Can I, can I speak to that? A little bit like because I think that's a really valid point. Like, well, okay, for two things. First of all, to go back to Bovia's point, I believe that it's entirely possible. And I think that what we're seeing reflected in this season of Picard is that there is no easy answer about his father. His father was a mixture of all of these things. Like, right, he's not a good guy, he's not a bad guy, he's a complicated human being with foibles. And we don't always get things right, even when we're somebody's parent, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. like just because you're a parent, you're not perfect, right? Um, 
And I think that they're really trying to reflect it, that he, his father does exist in the gray area. And I think that makes a lot of viewers uncomfortable because everybody wants to put him into a box. Right. You know, but we, we can't put people into boxes like that all the time. Yeah. And, and maybe part of that too has to do with the fact, that, and I know we've discussed this already at some point, is that we're viewing this through his eyes as a child. Exactly. So it's the interpretation of what a child would see. Exactly. That is a, that, and that way, especially in these, those first episodes of the season, it's straight Picard child point of view, you know, and that, and then to go to Mike Thurlow's point, um, Oh Lord, uh, which was <laughs> being in the chateau for 15 oh, years. 15, yeah, thank you. I'm like, oh yeah. God, that was a senior moment, like crazy. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I think that you know, people process stuff when they process it. A lot of times people take to their grave these things that they uh, that they do not process. And denial is really, really powerful. It's very strong. I have lived with the trauma that existed that happened to me for many years. And I could tell you there are moments when it comes up and I immediately push that thought aside. I am not examining it. I'm not Mm -hmm. touching it. I have to get on with my life. Right. And, And I have done that for years now. It doesn't mean to say that I haven't at this point in my life examined it. I have. But I wouldn't have examined it if I didn't have some other bad crap happen to me, you know, that really forced me into a position to deal with that trauma from my childhood. So, you know, and I'm saying, like, I know my grandmother took stuff to her grave and she was like, you know, she was damn near 100. So we don't I think that's very human. No, that's a great that's a great point. Uh, I didn't you know, I didn't really, you know think of it that was just a thought that came up right you know as we were talking but yeah that makes a lot of sense to me yeah but i also agree with you i'm sorry mike i also agree with you that yeah there there had to have been moments because he's been living there for so long there had to have been moments where those thoughts came up and arose he just don't i I just think he just wasn't dealing with it he wasn't ready yep and i was thinking go back to you know this is not something new for picard either you go back to season three of TNG family. Um, you know, he's talking with Deanna and he essentially doesn't want to deal. He, he says, I've talked to the counselors on earth. I don't need to rehash all of this. Uh, so he's trying to, again, deny the things that have happened. And we see that the whole time he's in France with his brother, right up until that fight where he just kind of lets go. So, yeah, we we've definitely seen that he can deny a trauma that he's faced. Yeah. And I think, I think too, we're even seeing that he can be very similar to his father in that way too. Cause it looks like his father through the portrayal of this season was in denial too. He was denying that there was a serious problem that needed to be addressed. He figured, Oh, I'll just lock her in a room. And then, things are going to be okay. You know? Um, and I know, I know listeners are going to like go crazy when I say this, but I, I go back to, I think not having Robert there is, was another missed opportunity because especially we saw through TNG, it fleshed out that Robert is so much like his father, like their father, like that he kind of took that mantle of, you know, I got to be tough. I got to run the household. You're off running to space and running away mm-hmm. from all the problems here. I'm the one that's got to be the 
the um, patriarch of the household and, and carry in our father's legacy um, just to see that dynamic too. And I know, I know they wanted to make it about Picard, but boy, I really think that that was a missed opportunity to see how their relationship would have been altered by, you know, either Picard him allowing, being there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Him being there and, and maybe blaming Jean-Luc for what happens or right. It, it, it was a miss. Yeah. I think I, you know, I see what you're saying, Jamie. Yeah. I see what you're saying, Jamie. Um, I, I just think that that's something that they've kind of already gone over and this was, you know, at least their relationship. And I think that this was just trying to deal with Picard's trauma around this situation rather than dealing with the, the brother. And also we've never really dealt with the father either too, too much. So I think that these were again, sort of to, to take a step out of the show for a second. The reason why Patrick Stewart agreed to do this was to do something different that hadn't been yeah kind of explored before in, in TNG, but uh, so that's that's the reason why I think that Robert is not a part of this kind of piece of the puzzle. And I, and I don't necessarily think he needs to be necessarily. I think that that's, you know, I think there's enough enough trauma here to go around um, that. Um, and I, and I, I think, I, I don't know if, if everyone's got their thoughts out, but just to kind of bring this forward to what we can take away from this uh, is I think that one, if you know someone who is having a hard time, get get yourself help so that you can get them help. Because oftentimes you're in, in a relationship or, or you might have a relationship with someone who um, who's struggling with this and, and you don't know what to do. So I, I'd, I'd encourage our listeners, if you're in any of that, any, any kind of situation like that, uh, that you get help and that you uh, seek out help for for your loved ones who are experiencing this. And um, just to repeat the the places from the top of the show, go to nami.org. That's n-a-m-i.org or the suicide prevention lifeline.org for for help with this. Uh, and, and that you're not alone. Uh, you know, I think we've we've shared we've all shared different little pieces of ourselves here that can can be traumatic and need help and uh so definitely go and and get the help that you need Mm -hmm. yeah and it doesn't even have to be anything as traumatic as what we've been talking about here um you know i have i've been dealing with depression probably for 20 years and only recently started to get help for it and you know it's never driven me to ever have the thought of suicide thankfully but it definitely affects your way of life um and compartmentalizing things and the denial it it doesn't help it's still there so yeah even if it's something as small or what you feel as insignificant as just talking to somebody about it maybe needing to get medication for what you're dealing with it's a step in the right direction and I'm not advocating, you know, take the Western medicine or anything like that. Just, you know, you got to do what is going to help you to live a life free or as free as possible from the demons that you're dealing with. 
here. And I just want to, you know, I mean, I, I have griped um, this, uh, much of this season about the unevenness of the storytelling. But one thing that I will never gripe about is the fact that they are attempting to tell the story, you know, um, that they are telling the story and that this is a really, we're talking about these issues now, and it's important to be able to bring issues of depression or uh, mental health into the light and, and continue to try to destigmatize um, these issues because we know we're all in some way impacted by these issues, whether or not directly um, with ourselves or through somebody that we love or know. Um, and the less people feel like there's something bad or wrong with them, the better that is for everybody, right? Because I grew up in a time where you did not talk about these things. Like people, there was the word that people were crazy. That was period. That was the word. And I, you know, it's lovely that we are living in a time now where there's a whole generation of people who are like, that's not a nice word. (laughs) You know, um, a, that's not a nice word B, nor is it accurate. You know, uh, when I came up, you did not have, you didn't know about, um, depression. We didn't know about it. I mean, we knew about it, but we didn't know about anxiety. We didn't know uh, about bipolar disease. Like, you know, there were all these things that were not uh, really clearly spoken about. It was just like, oh, that person, we don't talk about that. Cousin so-and-so tried to kill themselves or cousin so-and-so did X, Y, or Z, or, you know, like you just don't talk about it. Um, So I really applaud them for bringing these issues to the forefront so that we can have conversations about them. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you bring up a lot of good points to me and I, you know, I always think of like, you know, Star Trek's always been a commentary on what's taking place in the world oftentimes, and you've never really seen them really tackle this. Um, you know, it's almost like we always had this perception watching the original series or watching TNG that life is perfect. There's no conflict in the 24th century they're not dealing, you know, and and it's almost like, you know, we, we aspire so much to get to that point as a human race, but you know, this show is really kind of peeling back the onion and saying that, no, those things still did exist. They still did exist in the 24th century. And if we don't take the right steps to address them or meet them head on, sometimes that, you know, things could still have tragic things could still happen because this, you know, Mental illness isn't racist. It isn't ageist. It isn't sexist. It can affect anyone uh, that's in the world. Well said. Let's, as a group, do we feel like addressing the fact that there was no warning on the episode about the scene? I do. No, I think that that's one of the things where they fell down, that there should have been a warning that um, this episode was triggering to a lot of people. Um, and, uh, and I get why, you know, um, and especially because the treatment of her suicide, um, was lengthy. (laughs) It was, it was not a flash in the pan. Um, it wasn't just like, Oh, we see her and, and then we don't go back. We see that image repeatedly. So I believe that, uh, you know, in future, I hope that Paramount will learn from this um, and put a warning 
you know, at the beginning and give people a heads up, uh, you know, for instead of just hitting them with it. Yeah. You know, I mean, because I felt, you know, I felt some kind of way and I have not been affected by suicide by anybody very close to me. You know, um, I mean, in my family close, I've had friends mm-hmm. who have committed suicide, um, but like blood close, you know. Um, so I can't imagine what that would have felt like to have been coming to enjoy your weekly trek and yeah. get and get hit with that. You know, so I think that they should have had a disclaimer. I hope in the future that they do. Yeah. And and I have seen out there people say, well, what more do you want? It was rated TVMA. Yeah, sure it was. But the reason, if you look at that right at the beginning of the episode, the reasons it's, it's rated that is for language and violence. It mentions nothing about traumatic even if they said a trim a traumatic scene i think at this i think at this point in the season we kind of knew where yvette's illness was leading to so if you even if you saw something like a tragic scene you're preparing yourself okay this could be it um but even more clearly spelled out a suicide, you know, uh, motion picture association of America has gone so far now as to say on like a PG rating that they're smoking in the episode. So if you can, if they can tell me that they've rated it PG because characters are smoking and that's not something that they want people to, aspire to i guess then why wasn't that mentioned specifically and that's my soapbox (laughs) i agree so sorry my last point about um that uh there was a the the retcon the bit of retcon that they did that they finally addressed um and i give them kudos for that um, you know, that uh, why, because you're all asking, why did Picard imagine this old woman as his mother? You know, and and he says, you know, I this is probably why, because denial, hi, um, not a river in Egypt uh, is, you know, the reason why, like, I couldn't even accept this. I couldn't face this. So I had to imagine her as living beyond this moment um, as having made it to old age. So. Thank, thank you for saying not the river in Egypt, because every time we've been saying <laughs> denial, that's all that keeps going through my brain. We'd like to take a moment to talk about Fansets, the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Fansets merchandise, as we know, is the leader in pin collectibles for Star Trek, but they offer more than that. In addition to Star Trek, you can find pins for The Big Bang Theory, Scooby-Doo, DC Comics, Batman 66, Harry Potter, and Rick and Morty. 
The Delta is Done Right collection from Fansets is in full swing now. They just released the motion picture Delta, which I have, and it's amazing, as seen on Admiral Kirk, which is available in pin or magnetic form. That was their May 1st release. The May 15th release is going to send Jamie back in time to when he was a boy, just a boy, watching his first Star Trek as the future imperfect TNG Delta will be released. So go over to Fansets and get a bunch of pins in your cart today. And as a listener to the show, you can receive 10% off your next order from Fansets by using the code TREKGEEKS at checkout. That's T-R-E-K-G-E-E-K-S at checkout. And remember that you receive free shipping in the U.S. on orders of $30 or more. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So now we're going to get into the overall message of this episode as if we haven't gone deep already uh, with some of our commentary. Um, Jamie, since your voice is giving out, we'll let you go first. Yeah, I'm going to kind of double down on that statement that I just recently said, you know, because we're, you know, obviously the, the main crux of this episode is talking about mental illness. And I'm going to kind of double down and say mental illness isn't racist, isn't ageist, isn't sexist. It can affect anyone at any time, at any point in their life. And we see that even, you know, Picard being almost 100 years old you know, still trying to work through this trauma or trying to deal with it. And, you know, it, it's, it doesn't distinguish who it attacks or, or, or who it, who it goes after. So, you know, and I, I'm going to reaffirm Mike's point that if you need help or, or, you know, somebody that needs help, seek out the appropriate help you need, because you never know um, what could happen or, or if things could be too late and, and then how that trauma will affect you the rest of your life just like it affected Picard. You know, he, he was in a position where because his mother didn't get the appropriate help she needed uh, to address her issues, he had to live with this guilt and live with this um, kind of shoving underneath the rug for, for almost a hundred years. And, you know, nobody should really have to have to go through that. Mike. So um, I think one of the things that stood out to me for this episode is that even at the end, Picard continues to be this constant beam of hope. And even though having just come from the Chateau, gone through the, the um, reveal of what happened to his mother and everything, he comes out and uh, he, you know, we've seen the La Serena take off and go on to, into space. And Picard continues to say, or, you know, basically says, I refuse to accept an outcome that has not yet occurred. And while I, (laughs) Demi is giving me eyes, (laughs) um, I, you know, I, I just think that this is, you know, one of those things where there is always hope in the universe. There's always hope for the future, uh, that things are, that are not yet written, uh, and that you can have an impact on these things. So, um, yeah, that's that's really all that I really wanted to add to this is just to remember that no matter how dire things seem, there's always a there can always be uh, 
options there can always be there's always hope and uh yeah just continue to to try to be hopeful that's a hard you know that's not my best uh my best uh, overall message that i've given this season but well, we know that we know that mike is always hopeful when it comes to the picard episodes though that's true Tamia. There were two things that um, I really thought outside of the obvious issues of the mental illness discussion that we have had, um, that was like my favorite line at the end of the, at the end of the um, episode that, you know, I refuse to accept an outcome that has not occurred. You know, I, my destiny is not really written among the stars, you know, I mean, like, I mean, my destiny is written among the stars, but my destiny is not foretold necessarily. Uh, And even if it is like, I really don't want to argue with people about whether destinies are foretold or not. It makes no difference to me on how I live my life. Doesn't matter. You know, I'm still going to try and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying, you know, um, or else I might as well throw in the towel now, you know, and I come from you know, I look at, you know, everybody can look into their history of the peoples that they come from. I come from really strong people that would a lot of the world would have died <laughs> in its circumstances, like, you know, uh, you know, not to make it too overly political, but you know, I come from descendants of slavery. I come from Native American peoples and I come from Filipino peoples. Uh colonialist powers tried to kill all of the people that I come from, like literally tried to kill us. Um, And we didn't die, you know, um, as a matter of fact, we, we thrived, you know, so, uh, you know, I look at that and I know that I have a lot of power within me uh, and that I can accomplish things in this world and that there's something to live for. You know, so I love that the fact that we have an episode that's dealing with suicide, but at the end, Picard is saying we have something to live for, you know, um, and uh, oh, the other one that I love that I thought was a, a really Star Trek message was Gerardi and uh, the board queen, you know, and what she's telling the board queen that this that, that we can do something, the collective can grow and be something different, you know, that it doesn't have to be this totalitarian entity, that it can be uh, a collective of free will, uh, you know, working alongside each other, that we can grow, we can change, and we can become better. And I thought that that was the probably the purest of the Star Trek messages that we got in this episode. I thought that was, I just thought that was very Trek. Um, so that's, that's it for me. Nice. So well, my message uh, actually comes from the end of uh, Picard reliving his whole trauma uh, when he's talking with uh, Talon there. And, you know, he makes the comment that I loved her desperately and she says to him, love always and completely is a gift. And, you know, I think any of us that have experienced love, whether it be from parents uh, or our partners, we know that that is true. Um, Picard, 
remembers her as she asked him to remember her as a bright and loving mother. And as she said, not the coldness of a dying star. And this was really something that he needed to learn that that love was a gift and it was something that he could hold on to his whole life. And, you know, hopefully if you have experienced that again from a parent, a child, a partner, that you can hold on to that and it can get you even through the darkest times, knowing that there's that love on the other side waiting to embrace you. Starfleet Command is proud to present you the Christopher Pike Medal of Valor. So our medal round or our awards or whatever you want to call them, where we say that somebody did a real good job on the episode and we say that we're going to give them award and they don't get anything from us. They probably wouldn't accept it anyway. So Tamia, who are you awarding this week? Okay. So my first award, uh, I have several, um, uh, Allison pill gets an award for me. Um, I think she, uh, still continues to knock it out the park, uh, every time she's on the screen. Um, uh, Michelle heard gets an award for me, especially with that scene with Elnor, um, and her scenes with, uh, with, uh, seven, uh, Michelle heard is, oh my God, she's such a queen in my eyes. And um, they finally gave her something more to chew on, you know, and um, of course she took it and hit it out the park. And then my other award goes to Jerry because um, she was also hitting it out of the park. You know, Patrick Stewart does his thing every time, uh, you know, so that's just like a given to me because every time he's just such a great performer. Um, But, uh, and I think that, um, even though I don't like the character very much, I think that Brent Spiner uh, was still amazing because he made me hate this character. <laughs> so uh, those are those are my nutshell awards. Oh, I like that. I might have to use that going forward, our nutshell awards. <laughs> All right. So this week for me, uh, I actually have uh, one of the same ones as Tamia, uh, Allison Pill. Um, I mean, really good job in this episode portraying the evil side of the queen, but then also the compassionate side, like being Jurati aside from the queen and talking to the queen and that whole back and forth. Uh, she has been incredible this season. And uh, I believe this is probably the last significant role that we'll see her in in Picard um and she has said that she is not in season 3 which is a tragedy um but it is what it is so Allison Pill we will miss you my next award uh is for another of our cast that is departing after this season Evan Evagora I mean his fighting scenes are always great but his exchange with Rafi and with seven there in again, giving Rafi the closure that she needed, uh, but also providing, you know, talking to 
I almost said talking to Jerry, uh, talking to Seven uh, and letting her know that he held the key to the ship and the two of them discussing the technical side of things uh, was good as well. And then finally, this is kind of a cumulative award, I'm going to say. Uh, Madeline Wise, uh, the actress that played Yvette Picard, uh, I'm going to give her an award, not necessarily for this episode, though she though she does well in it. Uh, but over the course of the season, uh, her portrayal of somebody in pain has been very good. And, you know, not being an actor, uh, I can't understand the intricacies of how that type of thing works. But I do know that a lot of actors say that they have to go to a deep, dark place sometimes to to get what they need for their role. And uh, hopefully it wasn't too hard on her to hit this role out of the park the way she did. All right, Jamie. My favorite time. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to echo everything you guys are saying about Allison Pill. Um, I think she she definitely deserves an award for sure. Um, kind of a, a deep award here. Um, I'm going to go with the, I don't know if it's the lighting director necessarily, or, you know, um, production design, but basically I love how this episode was lit and shot, um, with that dark, with the greens and the blacks. And, um, I just thought that was really good. Um, and my last award is going to go to Elnor's sword. Uh, so that's going to be my my third award for this week. Keeps it coming. Uh, Elnor's sword was awesome, though. Definitely got to say that. And, and I, I do. Li- I did like how they. Uh, I, I saw it as he opened up the weapons locker and he's pulling out these phasers. I'm like, he's a hologram. They're not going to work for him. He needs a sword. And then next locker, there's his sword. And what did he say? Hello, old friend. <laughs> this is cool. All right, Mike. So a lot of what you've already, you all have already said. Uh, my first award, though, Brent Spiner really does uh, does a great job in this episode. He makes me believe that he's this crazy, mad, evil scientist. Uh, the the vehemence that he uh, says his lines and, and the just the hatred. You can feel the hatred that he has for Picard. And uh, I, I thought that was, you know, an impressive uh, display of acting skills, especially playing off of someone so great as uh, Patrick Stewart. So uh, kudos to him. Mike, I'm going to echo your award uh, for Madeline Wise. Um, I thought that she did a wonderful job as Yvette uh, through this entire series, but uh Today, uh, this episode, I thought was just uh, a really touching moment, especially when it was her, James Callis, and, and Dylan in in the scene in, in the living room where she calls him a curmudgeon. And um, so I thought that she was, am- she was amazing as Picard's mom. And then finally, I, I really want to shout out Dylan Van Halley for his portrayal of young Picard. Um, and and the balance that he has with with Madeline on um, uh, on their scenes together. So 
uh, yeah, kudos to all of them. I thought that the the choices, even though I'm not a huge James Callis fan uh, for Battlestar Galactica reasons, but um, I thought that the the family that they created uh, of the Picards in the past was really w- well done. So also kudos to the director, uh, the casting director for for choices, these choices. Library computer data being received. Now everybody's favorite part of the show, the prediction side, or at least two people on this show's favorite part, because I know two of us could care less about it. So, uh, Mike Thurlow, what's your prediction? So uh, I really toss around in my head uh, this whole line about there being two Renees, uh, and for a while I did not, um, I couldn't figure it out. And then uh, when I was going over it with Johnson in our latest Deep Space Pride episode, I finally put it together on, on what this might potentially mean. And I think that um, I think that in this case, Talon is going to use that um, concealer that she has that conceals her ears, and uh, she'll be the one that uh, dies by emulating Renee so that the real Renee can go off into space on, on the Europa mission. Um, what I also predict is that because of this, and because it seems like she is a uh, an ancestor of Laris, is that we won't actually see Laris in the future. Like this, this is going to be one of those butterfly things that I think is going to going to happen. And um, instead, when we when when we hope that uh, you know Picard goes back to the future and uh, goes to the chateau. He's not going to find Laris there, but instead he's going to find Zaban or Z- Zabon. Um, and uh, he's not actually going to know who Laris is either. So um, a little bit of a tragic ending, I think. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, it's, it would be an interesting um, kind of butterfly to kind of play out. Uh, my other prediction is that, um, and I, this I think even despite the fact that Rios gets on mission and we didn't talk a lot about Rios and Teresa in this episode, but I think, uh, I think even though he says to Teresa before he beams back into the solarium, um, I think he's still going to stay behind. I know that she really loves the, the future tech, but I really think that, um, Rios is going to end up staying behind. And because of the conversation with Rafi and seven, I think that when they get back to the future, um, that that Seven is going to become the captain of the Stargazer. Um, and my final thing is that um, sadly, I you know we sort of have some 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 news about um, Allison Pill not being in season three, which actually really upset me. Um, uh, upset me one that it came out before the finale so that's that was really upsetting to me but um i also think that uh if we all remember elnor's body is in the la serena's sick bay so um i think that this uh this scene the you know it's great that rafi had this closure with with the holographic elnor uh but because i don't think that we're going to see elnor again in the future because uh his body is going uh 
going off with Girardi slash the board queen into 400 years of, of uh, doing what they're going to do. So the only, the only thing, and I don't think they're going to do this is that we might see a Borgified Elnor in the future, but I, I'm not really predicting that. I think that we've kind of seen the end of, of Elnor. So those are my predictions for this week. You're, you're killing me, Mike. You're absolutely he left killing nothing, me. Nothing for me. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. No, you're not. So, it's okay. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick doubling down on uh on Teresa and Ricardo heading into the future with Rios. Um but that being said, I have thought a lot about what you all have said about him staying behind and i agree mike if that was that was my thought as well if he stays behind stargazer needs a captain and that there's no way that the discussion between raffi and seven and seven being a good captain is just a throwaway line uh there has to be some meaning behind it so i'm thinking next season season three because season three we do know confirmed michelle heard and jerry ryan are in so i think seven will maybe not the stargazer captain we'll have to see but she she will be a starfleet captain in season three any any meat left on the bone for you jamie no <laughs> uh so i'm i'm gonna kind of since he kind of said a lot of things i was gonna say i'm gonna go in a different direction on purpose um so i definitely think Teresa and rios will will stay behind um i don't think seven will be a captain but i think she'll be in starfleet um i do go back to this whole to succeed there must be two renees one who lives one who dies um i was gonna say talon initially but i'm gonna say that it's a retcon for his nephew's death Somehow they're going to tie in the fact that his nephew had to die um, into that. They're going to wheel that in somehow. Um, That's how Robert gets into this season. There you go. There you go. Um, And one last thing. Uh, It left me. (laughs) It left me. But um, yeah, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to go with for, uh, for predictions. Not very exciting this, this week. Because they were all taken. Your your last your last award killed your last um, prediction. Yeah, Elnor, Elnor's sword just did away with yep, your prediction. Just, just chopped it up. Maybe maybe Elnor's sword will come back in the future. Who knows? Oh, I hope so. Maybe. Okay, Tamia. I know you hate this part of the game, but uh, th- did you have anything? I do hate this part of the game, but uh, the one thing. Uh, I, I will give a make you mad prediction. Uh, I, I will give a prediction, non-prediction prediction um, that uh, we w- this will not be the last we see of uh, Allison Pill um, or Agnes Tirati slash Board Queen. I don't believe it's going to happen in season three, but I do believe that that character is out there and I do think we're going to get more movies. And um I mean, Ooh. I, that's my prediction that she's ready to go for a movie. I like it. Actually, I got one more prediction. I got one more. <laughs> Are you done to Are you still going? 
No, okay. I was just having because I, I knew you had one more. So that's I, I got was. one more. I got one more. Wait, wait a minute. Does Mike have one more too? We should let him go first. No, I'm good. I'm good. I will not steal no, Jamie's this, last one. That is this, so this, mean. This one's gonna make <laughs> this one's gonna make Mike Thurlow very happy. So I'm I'm gonna piggyback on Mike Thurlow saying that Talon is the other Renee, and that when she, when they go back in time, you know, back to the future. All right, that Talon won't be there. Beverly Crusher will be there so they can get back together again. How about nice. that? Nice. I was awesome. thinking that too, but good I job. Didn't want to go there. That's mm-hmm. good, good one, job. Jamie. I'll be here all week. Don't forget to tip your waitress. <laughs> Try the veal. All right. Well, speaking of next week, in the season two finale, with just hours until the Europa launch. Picard and the crew find themselves in a race against time to save the future. Episode 10 is entitled Farewell, and we'll be covering it here for you on Discovering Trek Picard. Don't forget you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. Get access to unedited audio of all our podcasts and a lot of other perks. If you'd like to support this and the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, beam over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks, where subscriptions start as low as $2 a month. For more great Star Trek discussion, check out the aforementioned member podcasts on the network. In addition to discovering Trek, there is Trek Geeks, Rewind, Politrex, Five-Year Mission, those scene-stealing hacks at Deep Space Pride, (laughs) Drawn to Trek, Infinite Trek, The Divine Treasury, The Sci-Fi Sisters, Science Station 2, with the first link, and the newest addition to the network, ConPod, which is all about Star Trek conventions. You can find all these shows and where to listen on trekgeeks.com slash listen, or by downloading the Trek Geeks mobile app. Is there a Divine Treasury podcast? I don't know. I haven't seen an episode from them in a long time. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. You do realize that goes against me, too. (laughs) You could just, Mike, just. Yeah, but you have a a few (laughs) other podcasts, (laughs) Bovia, so I think you're okay. (laughs) I think, I think, I think Mike and Jamie need to have like a podcast together where they just duke it out weekly. Mm -hmm. I, I think that would be good. Yep, I would listen. <laughs> That'd be interesting. We'll have to give that some thought. Yeah, well, there you go. So the crew no longer has a ship. So, how will they get home? And what is the talk of the two Renees? Well, tune in next week as we check in on that and many other things on Discovering Trek. So, Each week, I've closed out the episode with a Picard quote. Uh, This week, I dug deep and found one I think that applies very well to this episode. Even in the darkest circumstances, there is a light. Sometimes only a glimmer. Trust that light. Find a way back, no matter what it takes. Until next time, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. 
For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.